I have to put you on to Armoire, the convenient solution to effortless, fresh, and stylish dressing. With an Armoire membership, you can curate the perfect wardrobe with high-quality, unique brands tailored specifically to your taste. Simply take a five-minute style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, then your chosen styles arrive at your doorstep in as little as two days. When it's time for a wardrobe refresh, just swap out your current pieces for new-to-you styles. I go from professional to the carpool pickup line, so I need a diverse wardrobe. With Armoire, I always have something fresh and on-trend for any occasion, without the clutter. I recently edited my wardrobe to staple pieces only because Armoire allows me to add new pieces monthly and return them just in time for me to do it all over again. And by renting, rather than constantly buying new clothes, I'm contributing to sustainability. Armoire is currently helping me through my chic era with all the high fashion and edgy options that I am loving. And the empowering aspect of supporting a women-founded and women-led business is so cool. With their personalized styling suggestions and diverse designer offerings, Armoire has helped me define and refine my personal style, even as trends evolve and my body changes. Whether it's a date night, a professional event, a formal affair, or just a trip to the grocery store, Armoire ensures that I am always dressed to impress effortlessly. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Topics in this episode include the killing of an animal. Please take care before listening. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. Whether good or bad, the experiences we have in our formative years can have a lasting impression. Any kind of trauma can fester into powerful resentment. Some people find healthy ways to cope through therapy or by channeling emotional pain into a creative outlet. Others do nothing to address their childhood trauma which can lead to feelings of alienation, rejection, and detachment. In a dangerous person, untreated trauma can manifest into violence. Sheer terror arrived in a suburban Pennsylvania town on March 12 of 1976. For the Opt family, it started out like any other weekday. 
Margaret and John Opt went to their respective jobs while the children attended school. The family never could have predicted it would be their last morning together. This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish. Join me as I explore the Opt family murders. This case takes us to Trevos, Pennsylvania, located roughly 20 miles northeast of Philadelphia. The suburban village was once known as Feasterville Trevos, but the two townships have since been separated. Trevos is saddled between Ben Salem and Lower Southampton Townships in idyllic Bucks County. The county as a whole has a stronghold in American history. It was settled by the state's namesake, William Penn. This is also the region where General George Washington housed his soldiers during the Revolutionary War. In the early 1900s through the mid-1930s, Trevos was made up of mostly summer homes. Over time, the seasonal occupants gave way to more permanent residents. In the 1970s, when this crime occurred, Trevos was a lively suburban place for families with young children. This story unfolds on one specific street, the 3700th block of Fleetwood Drive in Trevos. The Philadelphia Inquirer referred to this block as a pridefully well-kept neighborhood, and rightfully so. Fleetwood Drive was full of meticulously groomed lawns and immaculate houses. It was the kind of area made for a perfect childhood, filled with bike rides, games of tag, and frequent sleepovers. Two neighboring families on Fleetwood Drive developed close ties. Over the years, however, they drifted apart. It was a minor shift that would end in catastrophic tragedy. The Ops were a widely adored family. They lived in a two-story brick colonial home, a residence that conveyed they were financially comfortable. John Opt worked for the Bell Telephone Company, and his wife Margaret was employed by the IRS. They had five children together. Their firstborn, Clifford, was a bit of a wild card and often got into trouble. Michael was born three years later, followed by Margie, John Jr., and then Kathy. The Opt children were incredibly close, despite there being more than 10 years between the oldest and youngest. The children also had a lot of friends in their neighborhood and were all well-liked at school. As it is with many children, some of the Opt's friendships were short-lived. In 1962, a new family moved across the street from the Opt family. The Guesswent family consisted of Josephine and her three children, Betty, George, and Fred. Josephine was divorced and went by her maiden name, Cologne. She'd been in a loveless marriage with a violent alcoholic. Though publicly unnamed, the man who fathered the Guesswent children was not a father to them at all. As quoted by the Daily News, Betty recalled of her father, he treated us as though we were just objects. I never sat on his knee. He never kissed any of us. We never had any heart-to-heart discussions. In fact, any sign of affection was forbidden in the Guesswent home. Instead of being nurtured, the children were horribly mistreated. One time on a drunken bender, Mr. Guesswent tried to run over George and Betty with his car, according to the Daily News. 
George was just five years old when his father abandoned the family for good. When Mr. Gesswin heard that Josephine had filed for divorce, he took his own life. Josephine had a fresh start in mind when she moved with the children to their home on Fleetwood Drive. George was 11 at the time and in desperate need of some friends his age. George's mother noticed that their neighbors across the street had several young children. Clifford and Michael Opt appeared to be around George's age. Josephine encouraged George to strike up a friendship with them, and before long, they were inseparable. For four years, Michael, Clifford, and George rode their bikes together, played pool, fished in a nearby creek, and went on adventures around the neighborhood. As the boys got a little older, they developed a taste for mischief, like breaking windows. Michael said of the friendship to the Philadelphia Inquirer, we were real pains in the ass. We were the best of friends. At one point, George crossed a line and ended up in juvenile court for vandalism. Suddenly, Mrs. Opt considered George a bad influence on her boys and told Michael and Clifford they could no longer hang around their neighbor. Life moved on and all three boys attended Ben Salem High School. Life on Fleetwood Drive remained relatively uneventful. That all changed on a cold afternoon in March of 1976, when the three men found themselves back in each other's lives and forever connected from that point on by an unimaginable tragedy. At around 8 p.m. on March 12, 1976, Michael Opt arrived home after spending time with friends. The Opt family had a bit of a Friday ritual to celebrate the start of a weekend. On most Friday evenings, Michael, Clifford, and their sister Margie invited their respective fiancés to gather with the rest of the Opts for a seafood boil paired with beer. It was a jovial gathering that everyone appreciated and looked forward to. On this particular Friday night, Michael was greeted by the sight of a dark house. He was baffled. Where could everyone be? Michael headed inside, shouting his siblings' names as he went. No answer came, only a silence that weighed heavy in the air. In the kitchen, he spotted drops of blood on the floor and a blood-stained sweatshirt, which froze him in his tracks. Michael couldn't go a step further. He called around to several nearby hospitals thinking someone in the family had been injured in a freak accident, but none of them had patience with the last name Opt. Panicked, Michael ran outside and knocked on the door of his neighbor, Mrs. Isabel Young. She was a close friend of the family and noticed that Michael was visibly shaken. Michael asked Mrs. Young if she'd seen an ambulance. When she replied that she hadn't, Michael let her know what he'd seen. Together, they flagged down a passing police car. Ben Salem Township Patrolman David Clee accompanied Michael and Mrs. Young back to the Opt residence. As quoted by the Philadelphia Inquirer, Mrs. Young explained, Mike and the cops started upstairs from the living room. The foot of the steps was full of blood. On the steps was blood. There was a newspaper there. It looked like somebody had tried to wipe up the blood. Mike and Officer Klee made their way through the house, stopping at the basement doors. 
As Officer Klee pushed the door open and aimed his flashlight down the dark stairway, he gasped in complete horror. There, at the bottom of the basement stairs, was a pile of bloody bodies. Michael Opt collapsed in a state of shock. As Mrs. Young tended to him, additional officers were called to the scene. Six victims in total were identified. John Opt, 49. Margaret Opt, 46. John Jr., 14. Kathy, 13. Margie, 19. And Margie's fiancé, 20-year-old Gary Engel. In addition, there was one non-human casualty. Several feet from the deceased, under a pile of clothing, lay the Opt family's beloved St. Bernard, Heidi. Based on blood spatter found upstairs, it was evident the slain family members had all been shot. But who was so cold-blooded that they would wipe out the better part of an entire family? There were no signs of a struggle, but a glass door at the home's side entrance was broken. An upstairs bedroom appeared ransacked, implying this could have been a robbery gone wrong. Investigators' initial theories were quickly disproven. Wallets found on the bodies still contained money. This immediately ruled out robbery as a motive. One detail that sparked curiosity was that all six victims were found wearing coats. This suggested to detectives their killer had caught his prey by surprise. No murder weapon was recovered from the crime scene. As news of the deeply disturbing crime hit national headlines, investigators scrambled to identify a motive. Who would go after a normal family in Pennsylvania's suburbs? It didn't make sense. There were two survivors in the Opt family. It was sheer luck that Michael had been out with friends. Clifford also had not been home. At the time of the murders, he was jailed in Bucks County, serving a 35-day sentence on contempt charges after failing to appear in court on minor traffic offenses. Clifford's fiancée, Sheila Robbins, immediately got to work on convincing a judge to release Clifford on bail so he could attend his family's funeral. An unnamed neighbor was shaken to her core when she heard the news two days after the crime. She happened to work with Mrs. Opp at the IRS. According to the morning call, she said, I didn't know about it until I heard about it on the radio this morning. They were a quiet, friendly family. This is a friendly neighborhood. Like so many others, she struggled to make sense of the violence that made its way to her town. Michael Opt was absolutely devastated by the loss. He told the Philadelphia Inquirer, you're talking about six of my best friends. They were my whole life, my whole world. That's what made me tick. The hardest thing sometimes is waking up and they're not here. No one could comprehend the suffering that Clifford and Michael must have endured upon learning the rest of their family had been brutally murdered. Worse yet, their killer remained on the loose. When traveling, this girl needs options and everything has to be perfectly organized, which is why I love traveling with BASE. Created by actress Shay Mitchell, 
Base makes sleek and affordable bags, luggage, and accessories designed to help you travel effortlessly while still looking fashionable. Base has considered every feature you'd want in a travel companion, including 360-degree gliding wheels, a padded handle, a built-in weight indicator, washable compartments for worn garments, and ample interior pockets for optimal organization. My personal favorite is the Weekender bag. The convenient opening of this tote ensures effortless packing and unpacking. Plus, the bottom compartment is designed to keep your shoes, toiletries, and travel essentials separate. You can even stash a hairdryer in there. The Weekender is my go-to for any short trip. All base luggage comes in multiple sizes and colors, so you can find the style that suits your aesthetic. Each item is designed to age beautifully, so throw it in cargo or overhead without a second thought. With over 30,000 five-star reviews, Base has the seal of approval. Whether you're prepping for a short getaway or aiming to breeze through airport security, Base has your personal items sorted. Right now, Base is offering our listeners 15% off your first purchase by visiting basetravel.com slash murderish. Go to basetravel.com slash murderish for 15% off your first purchase. That's B-E-I-S travel.com slash murderish. Thrive Market has become my go-to grocery partner because it's helped me hit my goal of eating less takeout. With Thrive Market, I'm empowered to embrace a more mindful approach to nourishment and to eat more at home. The convenience of ordering everything online and have it quickly delivered to my doorstep is a time-saving game changer. I appreciate that Thrive Market curates brands with a commitment to high-quality ingredients and sourcing methods, and their on-site filters are a great tool. I can tailor my shopping experience to align with my specific lifestyle needs, whether I'm in search of organic snacks for my 10-year-old, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry staples, the ability to easily curate my selections with just a few clicks is a standout feature. Being a Thrive Market member is like having a secret money-saving weapon. I'm pocketing over 30% savings on every grocery order. The Daily Changing Deals page is my jackpot. It features some of my absolute favorite products, like Bare Bones Grass-Fed Beef Bone Broth. The best part, when you join Thrive Market, it's not just about the savings for yourself. You're also lending a hand to a family in need through their one-for-one membership matching program. It's a win-win. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com murderish for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash murderish. Thrivemarket.com slash murderish. A thorough investigation began with canvassing the neighborhood to identify witnesses. Even though the houses on Fleetwood Drive were less than 100 feet apart, nobody heard any shots fired. A newspaper delivery girl reported seeing Mr. Opp arrive home just before 5 p.m. on the day of the killings, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. And Mildred Vandergrift had spoken to Mrs. Opp on the phone around 6 p.m. These small details assisted investigators in establishing a timeline. 
Everyone on the block was interviewed to see if anyone had heard or seen something. Five days into the investigation, detectives were still no closer to finding a murder weapon, establishing a motive, or narrowing in on a suspect. On March 17, 1976, Detective Lieutenant Theodore Zajac asked George Gesswen to come into police headquarters. The detective wanted to ask George some routine questions about a police report he'd filed recently regarding a stolen firearm. On March 5th, George had used his welfare money to purchase a 22 caliber pistol. About two hours later, he reached out to Ben Salem Police to report it stolen. At the station, Detective Zajac showed George a similar pistol and asked if this was the missing gun. According to the Daily News, George said the pattern on the hammer of the missing gun was different. George answered a few additional questions over the next hour, and then he left. The interview with George piqued Detective Zajac's interest. He was especially intrigued by George's vivid memory of a gun that had only been in his possession for a few hours. The detective summoned George the next day, this time to talk about his whereabouts the night of the Opt family murders. George's oddly calm demeanor became awkward and he stumbled on his words, which only heightened Detective Zajac's suspicions. On March 21st, nine days after the murders, investigators discovered a crucial piece of evidence. Two kids had been fishing in a creek not far from the neighborhood where the murders occurred. They'd spotted something metallic protruding from the shallow water. The children alerted their parents, who then contacted police. Detective Richard Batesel, who was leading the OPT investigation, recovered a pistol, several spent shell casings, and some live ammunition. It was the same gun that had been registered to George Gesswent, the one he'd reported missing. The next day, Detective Batesel asked George to come down to the station again. While he was being questioned about the Opt family murders, George was given a polygraph. His answers registered as deceptive on the test. When George was told he failed the polygraph, he cracked and gave a full confession. He filled in all the details investigators were missing, including his motive for slaughtering five out of seven members of the Opt family. It all began in 1972 when George moved back home after being discharged from the Navy. After graduating from high school in 1970, George enlisted in the Navy. In high school, he was a loner. He didn't fit in with his peers and found it difficult to form any substantial connections. Life in the service also proved challenging for George. According to the Philadelphia Daily News, he faked constant seasickness so he would get discharged. However, the Daily News reports that George was slapped with two charges of going AWOL. Regardless, after his 17-month Navy service, George moved back in with his family, then enrolled at Bucks County Community College, where he attended a two-year program in business administration. A bright future appeared on the horizon when George graduated in 1975. Yet the countless job interviews he went on led nowhere. At some point, George decided to shift gears. 
He attended a truck driving school in Ohio. It was a two-week certification course that seemed like it would lead to gainful employment. 90% of graduates from this program landed a job right after. But George was part of the 10% who didn't. It seemed like he couldn't catch a break. The foreman at a local gardening center took pity on the young man and hired him for seasonal work. George was able to contribute to his household for a few months before being laid off. He soon found himself on welfare. George was once again living across the street from his childhood companions. Only now, the op boys had new social circles. Whatever connection Clifford and Michael once shared with George was long expired. In his confession to the murders, George claimed that one night, years before the murders, Michael and some of his friends appeared outside of George's garage to call him names. From that moment forward, George said he became the butt of the op's practical jokes. He said Michael and Clifford took turns aiming a BB gun at his house. Flowers were delivered to George's house when none were ordered. Cabs were regularly sent to pick up George when he never called one. In one incident involving a cab, when George came out to talk to the driver, he said he could see the op children in the window laughing, according to the Philadelphia Daily News. As George told of the op's apparent teasing and taunting, he came across as incredibly paranoid to detectives. George also mentioned the Opt family's dog maliciously doing its business on his front lawn. He spoke of a time when his lawnmower was damaged when it hit a rock, which must have been placed there by the Opts. George had an active conspiracy in his head, and the Opts were his persecutors. Years passed, and the grudge inside George ballooned, consuming his every thought. In November 1975, George decided the Ots needed to pay for how they treated him. Over the next few months, George hatched a plan. Then, he waited for the right moment to enact his homicidal vengeance. Just before 9 a.m. on March 12, George's mother left for work. He knew at that point the Ott house would also be empty. The children were at school and their parents had gone to work. George slipped on some rubber gloves and made his way to the Ott's house. It was 90 feet diagonally across the street from where he lived. He shattered the glass in the side entrance and broke in to gain entry. It had been years since George was inside their home, but the house was familiar enough to him. Beside a grand piano in the living room, there was a small stool. George knew from experience He'd have a good view of the front door, but furniture obstructed anyone's immediate view of him. So he sat down on the stool and put on his ear protectors. Then he waited. For more than five hours, George waited as still and silent as a trained assassin. John Jr. was the first one to arrive home at around 3 p.m. As he walked through the front door, George fired several shots at John's head. The loud pop of the gun awoke Heidi, the dog, and she began frantically barking. George silenced her with his pistol. Minutes later, George picked off Kathy, 
He dragged the bodies toward the top of the stairs by the back kitchen door and pulled them down into the basement. Then, George sat back down on the stool and waited for the next person to arrive. Two hours passed, two hours during which he could have put a stop to the bloodshed, and yet he persisted. Margaret arrived home from work and took her last breath after walking through the door. Next came Margie. George was aware that John Sr. would be home from work soon. It was late winter and the sun sat low in the late afternoon sky. He didn't have time to be delicate with Margaret and Margie's bodies. He dragged them toward the basement door and then threw them down the dark stairs. A thick trail of blood stained the living room floor and George hastily dabbed at it. Moments later, he sat down and aimed the gun at Mr. Opp's face. George pulled the trigger and fired, killing the man instantly. Gary Engel was the final victim. He'd come over to take Margie out to dinner to celebrate the third anniversary of their very first date. By the time George piled Gary's body with the others, it was 6.30 p.m., the op's telephone was ringing incessantly, making George jittery and agitated. He worried about it being a neighbor who heard the gunshots and wanted to check on the family. Fearing he'd get caught if he stayed much longer, George fled the house and ran to the safety of his mother's home. Detective Batesel asked George what he did after the shootings. According to the Philadelphia Daily News, citing court documents, George said he spent the next three hours eating a tuna sandwich and watching TV before going to bed. George admitted to dumping his shoes and the rubber gloves in the Delaware River a few days later. After washing his pants and other clothing to remove the bloodstains, he donated the items to Goodwill. Those items were never salvaged. But investigators knew they had their killer. Let's take a trip into the history of toilet paper. Yes, I said toilet paper. The introduction of perforated rolls came in 1890, but it wasn't until 1930 that we got the luxury of splinter-free tissue. Before that, people made do with corn cobs, parchment, and even pages from the farmer's almanac. Fast forward to today, we're cutting down forests just to produce something we use one time. That's why I love Real Paper. Real revolutionized the toilet paper game with a sustainable twist. Their rolls are tree-free, crafted entirely from 100% bamboo. Recognized by the Forest Stewardship Council, Real ensures responsible harvesting of bamboo grass for their paper production. While typical tree-based toilet papers come swathed in plastic, Real Paper takes a green approach their packaging is plastic-free, compostable, and to top it off, they offer free shipping on all orders. Real doesn't stop at being eco-friendly. They've teamed up with One Tree Planted. Every box of Real purchased contributes to reforestation efforts nationwide. Unlike other TP brands that contribute to deforestation, Real actively plays a part in planting trees. I made the eco-friendly swap to Real Paper, and it feels good. Literally. Real paper is available in easy, hassle-free subscriptions or for one-time purchases on their website. 
All orders are conveniently delivered to your door with free shipping in 100% recyclable, plastic-free packaging. If you head to realpaper.com murderish and sign up for a subscription using my code murderish at checkout, you'll automatically get 30% off your first order and free shipping. That's R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R dot com slash murderish or enter promo code murderish to get 30% off your first order plus free shipping. So let's stop flushing our forests and try Real's tree-free paper. Real is paper for the planet. Getting term life insurance is among the wisest financial choices you can make for your family. And the beginning of the new year is an ideal moment to check it off your list. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric offers adaptable policies tailored to your family and budget, providing quality coverage like a million dollars for less than a dollar a day. Everything is streamlined online and on your terms. No need for appointments, fixed schedules, or mountains of paperwork. Simply apply when it suits you. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Applying is risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you have the flexibility to cancel any time. Fabric has joined forces with Gerber Life, a trusted name for over 50 years and relied upon by millions of families like yours, with an outstanding, excellent rating on Trustpilot from over 1,800 five-star reviews. Fabric ensures reputable service. Beyond life insurance, Fabric is a comprehensive hub offering free digital wallets, investment accounts for securing your children's future, and the convenience of managing your family's finances directly from your phone, ensuring that your family is well-prepared for anything. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash murderish. That's meetfabric.com slash murderish. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash murderish. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states, Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The gun and spent ammunition pulled from the creek were enough to connect George Gesswent to the Opt family murders. George's full confession simply bolstered the case mounted against him. George was promptly arrested and held without bail. He was indicted on six counts of first-degree murder. In the months that followed, George's defense team decided to go for an insanity defense. They would need to prove George couldn't tell right from wrong due to mental illness and therefore should not be held accountable for his actions. None of George's family members 
attended early trial sessions as a show of support. In fact, they seemed to want to distance themselves from George altogether. The night he was arrested, George's mother Josephine moved out of the house on Fleetwood Drive. Soon after, a for sale sign stood amidst the overgrown front lawn. George Gesswen's trial began on July 15, 1976, in Bucks County Court in Doylestown. Through his counsel, George maintained his innocence by reason of insanity. Forty spectators who'd known and loved the Opt family sat in the courtroom. They were joined by the sole survivors of the family, Michael and Clifford Opt. As reported by the morning call, in opening statements, public defender Richard Fink told jurors they would need to focus on a key question. Was this the act of a criminal or the product of a disease? George Gesswen did kill those people. You have to decide if he was sane. According to the Philadelphia Inquirer, Bucks County DA Kenneth Bean countered by calling the murders a chillingly logical, methodical execution and referred to George as a cool, collected college graduate, aware and frighteningly efficient when he sets out to do a job. At the core of the trial was an analysis of George's mental stability. Were his actions the product of a traumatic childhood or had he carried out a series of premeditated murders? If a jury determined that George deliberately and meticulously planned the killings, it could be considered aggravating circumstances and warrant the death penalty. Fink focused his defense on George's upbringing. The lack of love in his childhood ignited a psychosis that intermingled with self-loathing over the years. At 24 years old, George had no career prospects, no romantic entanglements, and no accomplishments to speak of. He felt like an utter failure, which fueled his resentment for the op's successes. Details shared about George's childhood were used by the defense to garner sympathy. If the jury understood what shaped him into a killer, maybe they'd be lenient. Fink argued that George's misanthropic view of the world was projected onto the Opt family. According to the morning call, Fink explained, in November 1975, he felt he knew what his solution was. He felt he was predestined, programmed, and compelled to kill the Ops. Dr. Richard Lonsdorf, one of several mental health professionals who examined George after his arrest, said George described his childhood home as a concentration camp. His father put up chicken wire around the yard to keep his kids inside. Dr. Lonsdorf testified that one Christmas, George's father broke every toy in the house and snapped the Christmas tree in half. The trauma of rejection from a parent emotionally wounded George. Those feelings were triggered when Clifford and Michael Opt ridiculed him for nearly four years. George then became obsessed with the Ops and their perceived cruelty. As quoted by the Philadelphia Daily News, Dr. Lonsdorf explained, as time went on, he felt he had no options. Either the Ops had to go or he had to go. There was no other way out. The prosecution argued that plenty of people come from broken homes 
and don't go on to kill six people. George's sister Betty testified in his defense to paint a broader picture of their family's dynamic. Growing up, the children of the Gesswent family were afraid to show emotion due to repercussions from their father. As cited by the Philadelphia Daily News, Betty called George the shyest and most withdrawn of her siblings and spoke of how she never saw George get excited, cry, or laugh as a child. Dr. Ulysses E. Watson from the Eastern Pennsylvania Psychiatric Institute in Philly testified for the defense. As reported by the Call Chronicle, in Dr. Watson's professional opinion, George suffered from paranoid schizophrenia, which became apparent when George narrated the events of his life as though he were talking about an inanimate object. According to the Courier Times, Dr. Watson testified that George chillingly called the killings his only achievement in life. Dr. Watson believed George's paranoia developed due to his lack of socialization. He argued that George's mental illness made him unable to process the reality of his violent actions. According to the Call Chronicle, under cross-examination, D.A. Bean asked, what did the defendant think he was doing when he held a gun 18 inches from the head of John Opp Jr. and pulled the trigger? To which Dr. Watson replied, he thought he was eliminating one of his life's nemesises. Prosecutors had a psychiatric expert in their back pocket. Dr. Norman Liu, director of the Pennsylvania Foundation for Mental Health, had been present on the night George gave his full confession. He said, I really had no question that he knew the nature and quality of his acts, according to the Call Chronicle. State prosecutors strived to show jurors how George had plotted to get away with his crimes. He'd strategically waited to shoot each victim the moment they arrived home so they could be caught unaware. And a week before the murders, he'd hashed out a way to conceal the murder weapon by reporting it stolen. Police Sergeant William Johnson testified for the prosecution regarding the report George filed about his pistol. D.A. Bean believed George had done this to establish an alibi. Instead, it was proof that the March 12th killings had been carefully planned. In a demonstration of admirable strength, Michael testified about the day his and his brother Clifford's lives were ripped apart. He shared his observations at the silent, pitch-black house that had once been filled with laughter and frenetic chatter. It was devastating for the jury to hear and unthinkable for them to imagine what challenges lay ahead for the 24-year-old as he attempted to heal from the loss of nearly all the people he'd ever loved. Detective Richard Batesel played George's confession in court. As reported by the Philadelphia Daily News, when asked if George had shown any signs of remorse for his crimes, Detective Batesel said he was sorry he couldn't get the other two and quoted George as saying, I would have stayed until midnight to get the other two. The seven-day trial concluded on July 20th. A suspenseful uncertainty lay not in the verdict, but in the sentencing. Would George be sentenced to death or face life in prison?
In my 20s, my closet was a vortex of chaos, bursting at the seams with clothes, yet the perpetual lament of having nothing to wear echoed daily. Fast forward to my 40s, and I've shifted to high-quality, affordable pieces from Quince. Now, my wardrobe boasts luxury essentials that seamlessly transition from one occasion to the next. And the best part? I've managed to stay on budget, a feat my 20-year-old self would have considered impossible. Welcome to the age of curated style and financial savvy, thanks to Quince. Think 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for just 50 bucks, organic cotton sweaters, chic washable silk tops, and timeless 14-karat gold jewelry. And get this, every Quince item is priced at 50 to 80% less than comparable brands. You may be wondering how they do it. Quince takes a unique approach by directly partnering with top factories, eliminating the middleman, and passing on substantial savings to us. Plus, they exclusively collaborate with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, utilizing premium fabrics and finishes. And that's something I really appreciate. I was so impressed with the quality of my 100% Mongolian cashmere sweater. It feels and looks so luxe. And I can't believe it was only $50. You can't go wrong with timeless styles at affordable prices. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash murderish for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash murderish to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash murderish. Ensuring my dogs live their very best lives begins with what I feed them. From fostering strong digestive and immune systems to sustaining high energy levels, it all begins with what's inside their bowl. I recently elevated my dog's well-being with Nom Nom, a brand committed to delivering freshly made dog food tailored to your furry friend's specific needs. Crafted by board-certified veterinary nutritionists, that are designed to enhance digestive health, bolster the immune system, and sustain high energy levels. Nom Nom prides itself on using real, recognizable ingredients without any additives or fillers, ensuring your dog receives the nutrition they need without the drawbacks of bloating or low energy. With over 40 million meals delivered to good dogs just like yours, Nom Nom has become a trusted source for canine nutrition inspiring clean bowls and countless tail wags. I absolutely love seeing my boys, Clipper and Shadow, happy and healthy. Their wagging tails and energetic greetings always make my day. It feels incredibly rewarding to know that I'm providing them with nutrition they enjoy, evidenced by their bowls being licked squeaky clean every single time. Let your dogs be the judge. Nom Nom comes with a money back guarantee so if your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. Go right now for 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trynom.com slash murderish. Spelled trynom.com slash murderish for 50% off. Trynom.com slash murderish. 
jury of seven women and five men deliberated for only 35 minutes before returning with a verdict. They found George Guesswent guilty of first-degree murder on all six counts. Jurors were then asked to decide which sentence to recommend. After 90 minutes of deliberation, they agreed George should be sentenced to death by electric chair. When the judge complied with the recommendation, the courtroom erupted in applause. George remained as stoic as ever. As reported by the Philadelphia Inquirer, five sheriff's deputies had to escort George out of the courthouse because of 15 to 20 neighbors who'd gathered to heckle the killer. George was transferred to the State Correctional Institute in Dallas, Pennsylvania. In the years that followed, George's lawyers filed several appeals. They tried to get him a new trial with a change in venue. That motion was denied when the court described the bizarre manner in which the killings were perpetrated, according to the morning call. The state of Pennsylvania has a history of ambivalence regarding capital punishment. In 1977, less than a year after George's trial, the death penalty was deemed unconstitutional. In 1978, that decision was under appeal and could potentially be reversed. This meant those on death row would need to be resentenced to life in prison. At George's June 1978 sentencing rehearing, he leaned heavily on his newfound religious faith. But DA Kenneth Bean didn't buy into George being a changed man. Like others in the community, he feared George might be considered for parole and then go on another murderous rampage. According to the morning call, Bucks County Judge Paul Beckert tacked on an additional sentence of six consecutive life terms. It was a precautionary measure just in case the death penalty wasn't reinstated. D.A. Bean also hoped this new sentence would signify to any parole board that George Guesswent should never be released. The nature of his crime spoke volumes on his propensity toward violence. According to the Death Penalty Information Center, Pennsylvania's death penalty was reinstated at the end of 1978, with the method of execution changed to lethal injection. From 2015 forward, there's been a moratorium on executions. George Guesswent was incarcerated for more than four decades. On May 22, 2020, he died of natural causes in DOC custody. Michael and Clifford Opt never fully recovered from the loss of their family members. Their lives spiraled out of control. According to the Philadelphia Daily News, Clifford spent the next 13 years in and out of jail. He died in August 1989 after suffering an extreme allergic reaction from an unspecified narcotic. Michael Opt struggled immensely without his loved ones. As reported by the Philadelphia Inquirer, for a period of a decade, he sold methamphetamines to survive. In 1990, a drunk driving incident resulted in probation and a $4,000 fine. By 1991, Michael had lost his license, his job, and his home. During an interview with the Philadelphia Inquirer, Michael shared that he was living in a motel with his pregnant girlfriend. More recently, 
an October 2023 article in the Lower Buck Source reported that at age 65, Michael Opt was living in various motels in Bucks County and dealing with an array of medical issues. George Gesswent sought vengeance against the two people in the Opt family who happened to survive. It's likely that keeping Michael and Clifford alive to suffer without their loved ones was a fate worse than death. With every squeeze of the trigger, George stamped out any glimmer of hope the Ops had for a bright future, when one by one, he shot and killed John Opt, Margaret Opt, Margie Opt, Kathy Opt, John Opt Jr., and Gary Engel. As Daily News reporter Anthony Burton astutely observed, the Ops offered the only really prolonged relationship to George Gesswind during his alienated, isolated life. It was because of that contact with him that they died. Was George Gesswind a tortured soul who was failed by the limitations of 1970s healthcare? Could this senseless tragedy have been avoided if someone had identified the signs of George's mental illness sooner and provided treatment? Or was George a cold-blooded executioner incapable of remorse? It's cases like this that show us nothing is ever as clear-cut as good or evil in the real world. Make sure you're subscribed to Murderish wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any new episodes. If you enjoy Murderish, please consider leaving a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Are you watching a lot of true crime documentaries and want a community of like-minded people to talk about them with? Well, then you should consider joining the True Crime TV Club I started. We call ourselves the Serial Streamers, and we meet in my Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube comments a couple times a month to dish about all the crazy true crime documentaries we're watching together. If you wanna join Serial Streamers, all you have to do is follow me on Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube at Jamie on Air. That's J-A-M-I on Air, and watch for videos about the latest TV series we're watching together so you can join us in the comments and share your thoughts. That's Jamie on Air on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. If you want ad-free episodes of Murderish, sign up for Murderish Behind the Mic on Patreon or at Murderish.com and start enjoying ad-free episodes right away. This episode was researched and written by Allison Schwartz. Visit Murderish.com for a list of sources used for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're a murder-ish. Okay, murderish listeners, I need your help with a missing person case. Khadija Rose Britton has been missing since February 8th of 2018. The young woman, who'd be about 30 years old today, is described as Native American with brown eyes and brown hair. She's 5 foot 8 inches tall and weighing about 160 pounds. Khadija was last seen at a Covello, California residence while being forced into a car at gunpoint by her ex-boyfriend. The FBI is offering a $10,000 reward to anyone with information leading to an arrest and conviction 
related to Khadijah Rose Britton's disappearance. If you heard or saw something that could help, please contact the Mendocino County Sheriff's Office in California or the San Francisco FBI Field Office. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.